0: And we're going to look at the Gospel of Isaiah. Uh, we're not going to preach through, it's too long of a book. Um, but uh, we're going to look at, at even Augustine, one of the church fathers, said, Methinks that the book of Isaiah is, a, is the fifth gospel. Or you know, some people call it the fifth gospel after Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because it has such clear invitations. To come back to the Lord, we're going to look at the, those gospel passages in the book of Isaiah. It's hard preaching. In fact, uh, the prophets of the day of the day of the biblical prophets were not popular people. Remember, Jeremiah was the weeping prophet, and he was attacked and thrown in jail. Uh, so Amos, uh, he was slandered. Hosea had big problems, uh, and so we see that they weren't popular people because they preached against sin. And folks, anybody preaches against sin today is not very popular because we're all supposed to just think that the Lord loves us. Uh, yes, the Lord loves us in spite of our sin, but he doesn't love us in our sins. Well, I mean, he doesn't love our sins. And uh, the soul that sin, sins shall surely die. You're going to have penalties for sin. And so as you look at the book of Isaiah, now it's interesting as I gave you, can I give you an, uh, some introduction here. Um, we see that uh, even though the the prophets were written and they preached to their people uh, around them during their times, and yet their preaching had eternal principles. And when you look at the book of Isaiah, it's kind of interesting because the first half, uh, or excuse me, the first section, chapters 1 through 39, will preach on repentance from sin. and gives a little history lesson but it's all kind of a one section of, uh, of the book of Isaiah and the first 39 chapters, like 39, cha- 39 books of the Old Testament. Then chapters 40 through 66 are the mess- messianic chapters where the promises of the Messiah and the thousand year reign of Christ, is so the desert shall bloom, uh, blossom like a rose, and all those things, uh, and how that he will describe so richly uh, the Lord coming and it starts off in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 with uh, the promise of John the Baptist coming and then it ends with the glories of, uh, of heaven in chapter 66 it's much like the New Testament where we see John the Baptist coming and then the glories of heaven uh, in Revelation and those are 27 chapters and consequently the New Testament has 27 books so it's interesting how that uh it this, the um, the book of Isaiah is so structured much like the uh the entire Bible. And we see that uh he is uh, he's called the prince of the prophets because he's like the Spurgeon of his day or Spurgeon is like the Isaiah of his day. Uh and that is he had a co- total command of the language. His his uh descriptions are so rich, and so you can just see them. You can, you know, do you see what I hear? You know, it's one of those things where when he preaches it, and he gives such descriptive language that uh, we all think of pictures. Well, he paints a picture for you in your mind. And there's so many little sayings that, uh, that are in the book of Isaiah that come out even in the English language, and we'll look at some of those too. And so we see that, uh, that Isaiah was quite the prophet, and now Isaiah's ministry was during the waning days. Actually, uh, Hezekiah was probably one of the best of the, of the kings of Israel. Uh, he came along at the time that the northern ten tribes had been destroyed by the Assyrians. And then you remember the story of how that uh, the Assyrians came down and tried to capture Jerusalem. And yet God killed 186,000 of them. And so he turned; he spared Jerusalem for the time. And Jerusalem would, would go on for another hundred years or so before they would be finally taken into captivity by the Babylonians. And so we see the up and down uh, nature of the nation of Israel. They would have good kings and bad kings. Hezekiah was the best king, one of the best kings they had. And yet his son was absolutely the worst king they had, and that was Manasseh. Many people believe that Manasseh actually was the one where we read over in the book of Isaiah that, uh, or excuse me, in the book of Hebrews, that um, that uh, some were sewn asunder. In other words, they were put in a log or something and they would saw the log into with the person in it. And many people believe that uh, Isaiah was martyred in such a way by Manasseh in his early part of his reign. And so, uh, we see that they weren't very popular. And as you even read the first chapter, which really sets the stage for the rest of the book, uh, chapters, well, verses 1 through 20, you'll see that uh, he has very colorful, colorful language, very powerful language. But when he condemns, he condemns. And when he promises great blessings, it's very flowery. But uh, we see that he's very descriptive in whatever he says. And so in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, we see the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos. Isaiah, by the way, means Jehovah's salvation. And so, uh, that, uh, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, uh, Jotham, uh, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, uh, kings of Judah. Now, Uzziah, remember, he got his vision uh, during the year, uh, and chapter 6 will tell us that in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. So that tells us exactly when he got this vision. And so we see that uh, he was, had the ministry all the way from Uzziah. So he says, Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, O oh, people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, children who are corrupters, they have forsaken the Lord, they have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel, they have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The head is sick, and the whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head There is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores that have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land and your presence, and it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in the vineyard, as a hut, in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we should have become like Sodom, and we should have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. And Sodom. Hear the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of bird offerings of rams and of fat of, the, fat of cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or goats. When you came to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feast, my soul hates. They are trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my face from you. Even though... You make many prayers I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat in the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, Father, we pray that you will bless the reading of and the preaching of your holy word. We thank you, Lord. So many passages are sweet to our ears, and yet some of them are very frightening. And Lord, we realize just how sinful man is and what you think of sin, and what you think of rebellion. And oh, Lord, that you would call your people back to yourself, that you would purify us, that you would cleanse us, that instead of being odious in, in your sight, that, Lord, we would be pleasant and that our prayers would be pleasant to you this morning. Oh, Father, may we worship you in such a way that you would hear us, that you would not reject our offerings to you this morning as we would offer our hearts, our lives to you. Cleanse us, Lord, from every spot and stain. Use us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We see that the children of Israel, the Lord considered as he was their father. And in verses 1, you'll notice, uh, first of all, that, uh, that all through the book of Isaiah, he's in love with the number seven. Now, he doesn't say seven things, but he will list seven things over and over again. Whenever he's talking, giving descriptions, and seven is not a number of perfection; it's the number of completeness. And so, whenever he talks about being completely in sin, he uses seven. You're completely sinners, and either you're completely going to hell, or you're completely going to heaven. Which way? There's no different. There's either you're serving him, or you're not serving him completely. And so, we see that uh, we see that he begins with the idea then of chapter verses two and three. Uh, that uh, he is that that he is our father, and he tells them uh, the, his indictment against him, because he says, "Here, O heavens and earth, the Lord has spoken." Now he begins that the Lord has spoken. He says that at the very beginning and the very last. You notice the last phrase of chapter uh, verse twenty is, "The Lord has spoken." So God is speaking here. Listen to me is what he's saying. He says. I have nourished you and brought up children. You have been my children. I've called you the children of Israel. Come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will be your father, and you shall be my children. And so he says that uh, I nourished you and brought you up as children, and but you have rebelled against me, as the ox knows its owner and the donkey its crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. They don't even think of me anymore as their father, as person to follow. Now, it's kind of interesting that he uses ox, doesn't know its owner. Uh, the oxen are, from what I understand, pretty loyal. They, they know where to, to go to eat and so forth. And they know where their crib is and they, uh, they look for it. They, they know their, their times to eat and so forth. But basically, what he is saying here, folks, is you're dumber than an ox, that's pretty strong language isn't it you're worse than a box of rocks but no he's saying you're dumber than oxes and he's saying that you're dumber than a donkey now the king james uses uh the other word for that and you could put you know dumb whatever with that but there again the lord is really calling them out and just saying you are a bunch of stupid people well that's a good way to start off with a popularity wanting to be a popular preacher isn't it I mean, that's a great minister. Hey, folks, you're a bunch of stupid people. I mean, I don't think I would have been called a preacher here if I, that's the first message I ever preached. But I don't think you guys would have liked me. But uh, there again, of course, he had been around for a while, but this is what God has given him. He says, you know, we got some problems here, folks. We're not too smart. We've rebelled against God. And then notice he gives a series of seven things now, Just seven things in verse four. He says, Uh, He says, you're a sinful nation. Now, I've called you to be a holy nation back in Exodus chapter 19. I've set you apart. You are my people. You are my precious people. And yet now you're you're characterized by sin, not by separation, not by holiness. You're laden. The word there is you're just overwhelmed. It's like an avalanche. You just are covered. You are totally permeated with iniquity. And iniquity is twisted thinking. Your thoughts are so bad, as uh, the proverbs tells us. They don't know not what they stumble. They are so messed up in their mind that when they stumble, they don't even know what they're stumbling over. Boy, that sounds like us today, today, doesn't it? We got problems, but we don't even know what caused the problems, and we definitely don't know how to fix them. He says, "Your people are laden with iniquity. You're a brood of evil, doer, evil doers." And that word brood is where the Lord, in Genesis chapter 1, where he says the Lord brooded upon the faces of the deep In other words, he concentrated. He thought about it. He multiplied life. And we have the smallest of life to the largest of life. He brooded. We have, we have, animal, we have animals living off of animals. Every time they think they found all the animals, they'll get a more powerful microscope and find that there are animals living off, parasites living off of parasites who live off of parasites. And so God brooded upon the face of the well. Here you brood at the I mean, all you do is you think and you multiply your your evil. As in the days of Noah, every imagination of the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. They brooded over evil. And that's where you are today. Your children who are corrupters. You are children and you are teaching your children to be corrupters. I never wolf well, I think sometimes, one time I had a, uh, a young boy, and he's standing right there by his father. And he saying, I said, oh, you're going to play Little League this year. I didn't know you are old enough. He said, I'm not, but uh, my my father is getting me in. And his father's standing right there. And it was like, uh, you know, I, I, back then I wasn't brave enough, but I should have. So you're teaching your child to lie? And boy... So here we have this time, you know, truth is falling in the street. We even teach our children to lie. And some of the things we're bringing into our homes with entertainment. Uh, Folks, we better kick Disney out. Disney is going to corrupt our children these days. I'm not telling you, you know, I'm not going to, you know, there again, I'm just saying we've got to be careful about the entertainment. And I'm not going to put a Calvary Baptist no-no on Disney or whatever. But we've got to use our judgment. And a lot of things, and what we're teaching our children. Look what they're doing to our to, to, what adults are doing to our children in schools today. Just how sad. He says, they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger. And of course, we're not to provoke the Lord to anger, because in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, it says, it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God, of a living God. And so it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. And then, of course, they provoked, but they have turned away backward. That word backward is interesting. I mean, they're turned inside out. Uh, they call good evil, evil good. They, they, their whole situation, they, they live backward lives. They have no idea what it is to do right. And everything they do is wrong. Even the plowing of the wicked is wrong, sin, because they don't follow me. That's a pretty strong, that's yeah, pretty strong indictment, and seven different things in one verse, and it only gets worse. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting how that he's a very powerful preacher, and he could put a lot of stuff in just a few words. But then also, we see that uh, notice not only you've alienated yourself from my blessings, but also <coughs> you have alienated yourself. Um, from one another now what we mean by that is whenever you have forsaken god and you were made in god's own image have you ever wondered why when we're god forsaken and we use that word why there's more violence because if we don't honor god in his image god made us in his god made us in his image so if we hate god we have a way of tearing things apart and one of the things you'll see with uh, the writers, they'll talk about murder. They'll talk about uh, slander and destroying people's reputations. They'll talk about uh, corruption and robbing the widow and all that because life is not precious anymore. There's, you know, there's the way that seems right in man, but the ways therein are the ways of death. And their only solution is death. So if you don't want a baby, kill them. If you don't want older people, kill them. You know, just whatever it is, kill him, because it's the ways of death. If you don't like your neighbor, kill him. You know, if you don't like your you don't like your opponent opponent, cancel him. I mean, destroy him so bad that they wish you were dead. Whatever it is, and so whatever man leaves God, he becomes extremely cruel, because after all, he's following a very cruel devil, isn't he? You are your father, the devil, who was a liar and a murderer from the beginning. And so we see that they become alienated from God, and they become alienated from one another. But then also we see that he says, you're already under judgment. Someone has said uh, in America today, folks, we're already under judgment. Notice how similar some of these things are that we're going through today. And it's just beginning. We're not there yet. And I think it's only going to get worse the more we turn away from God. But he says, he says, why should you be stricken again? I mean, why should I just keep on having 9-11s? Every time there's a 9-11, you'll get out on the Capitol steps and pray and sing God bless America, but then you'll go right back to what you're doing. Why should I keep on doing that to you? Because you're not listening in the first place. He says, you'll just revolt more and more. And folks, we're worse off today than we were back in 2001. You just get worse and worse. He says, your whole head is sick. Your whole heart faints. And so one of the problems we have today is, you know, twisted thinking. We're sick in the head. As a nation, are we sick in the head? I mean, there's some of the crazy things that we're doing and calling. he says, and your heart faints. You know the one thing that's killing people today? Stress. People are fearful. They are angry. Their whole heart is failing them. Heart disease is the, one of the biggest problems in America. Why? Because of the stress it's caused. Now, you say, well, you're reading the, um, the United States and Israel. No, I'm just saying these are eternal principles that when any nation turns away from God, this is what things that start happening especially if they knew God at one time or were greatly influenced by God. And so he says, the sole of your foot, even to your head, there's no soundness in it. I mean, the wounds and bruises are putrefying sores. I mean, you've got problems that aren't being healed. You're sick from one end to the other, from your head to your toe, and there's nothing, there's no ointment, there's no medicine. to can take care of it outside of my grace but you've turned away from my grace. And so you're suffering in your own sin. Oh, how sad it is. Sometimes as a pastor, I'll get with someone and their lives are just in a total train wreck. And they've rebelled against God and they want counseling. Well, let's go back to what you need first. You need to get your heart right with no, I just need and they want to go well until we solve your heart problem, we're not gonna take care of your head problem. If we don't you know, there again is uh, you know, you gotta get your thinking straightened. You gotta get your heart right before everything else can be settled. Well, I just need money. I just need, you know, to take care of this one problem. No your sin that causes this problem. you got to go back, go, go back to the problem. You're dying a death of a thousand cuts. You're bloody from one end to the other. You're just hurting. And until you learn that healing balm of the grace of God, you're just going to keep on having problems. And there's no ointment in the world that's going to solve it. You could pay a psychiatrist $200 an hour and isn't it interesting how many people are doing that today? You hear about these high celebrities that are doing, you know, paying these high uh, price to, and they still got more problems than you and I do. I mean, there's no ointment. You're not going to pay a doctor to take care of your problems. If it's a heart problem, no. He might. They might take care of a little bit of situation where you got to learn how to manage your money or take care of some pet or some family problem, but overall you're still going to have just more problems. Because your whole head is sick. Your whole heart is faint. You got a head problem, you got a heart, you got a thinking problem, you got a an emotional problem. But it's all caused by your sin. And so he says, Now that's some of your problems, but also you got a problem with me. Because he says now listen to me, verse ten. He says, "Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom." No, sees now. He says, "You were the only thing that's keeping you back from the effects of Sodom and Gomorrah is because there's a small remnant that I haven't destroyed. That I'm not destroying you yet. Within a hundred years, they would be destroyed. So they were going down the hill, going down the hill fast. He says, "You hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom." Uh, give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. He says, "To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices? Why are you worshiping me? Why are you bringing these blood, the, the bulls and goats, to me when your heart is far from me?" See, these were outward sacrifices. These were things that God required as His worship service, but they were, but He wanted a pure heart that gave them joyfully, as we saw last week with our speaker. He said these feasts were to be joyful because of what God had done. And they, all these things were symbol the outward symbols of what God was doing to them inside, of clearing, clearing their consciences and their minds. And of course, we know the greatest symbol of all to us is the blood of Jesus Christ who covers us from all of our sin. So that's the reason we come into his presence with singing, into his courts with praise. Because aren't, you, aren't we thankful and want to glorify His name? Why? Because what He's done for us. So we come to Him with, and, and we come and we ask His forgiveness. We seek His face. We seek His favor. Not, oh my, I've got to come to church this week because i got to be holy. No, you don't come to church to be holy. You come to church to learn how to be holy. You come to church to, to as we do the first day of the week, we offer our bodies A living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto him, which is our reasonable service. That means we come here for cleansing. We come here for the preaching of the word of God. We come here to learn how to live for the Lord and to seek his forgiveness and his grace in our lives. But if you're just coming to church, so this is what I got got to be good. So I'm going to go to church. You're missing the whole point. There's people all over this country that they're, they'll get up tomorrow morning and they'll live their regular lives without any change whatsoever. No, folks, I'm not what I want to be, but praise God, I'm not what I used to be because God's grace is still working on me and he promised me that he which hath begun a good work in me will perform it until the day I see him face to face. I'm not there yet and I've still got a long way to go as far as my holiness is concerned, and so do you. But it's a total seeking him, a daily cleansing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's a time of coming to the Lord and getting right with him and keeping those short accounts with him. He says, but all you're doing is coming and making this a ritual. And folks, I don't now. We should have formality. We talked about that on Wednesday night, about how that we need to be a little bit more dignified in some of our services. And we need to be much more digni- glorifying to God in some of the things we do. And yet, uh, uh, because this is a serious time. And yet, there should be a joy in it. There should be a gladness in be- meeting God's people and being with God's, pe- God's people. He says, but if all you're doing is coming and throwing money at me, are you coming and sacrificing blood and uh, bulls and goats? That's not what it's all about. No, I want your heart. My son, the writer of Proverbs says, give me your heart. If I, if I have your heart, I'll have your goats. If I have your heart, I'll have your pocketbook. If I have your heart, I'll have your actions. So son, give me your heart. And so he says, oh, he knows he just keeps on going. He says, when you you come to appear before me, uh, what is who is required from your hand to trample in my court? You're trampling. I mean, folks, some of the things that are going on in churches today scare me to death. I mean, the sensuality and the this downright heresy that's being preached from pulpits today. I mean, this... You know, just let go and let God. Well, no, um, let go of what? Let go of your sin. But if you're not willing to let go of your sin, then you're not going to you're not going to let God do anything. And so we see, you trample in my courts. He says, bring no more futile sacrifices, incense, or abominations to me. Your festivals, your new moons—that would be—they would have those at the first of the month. And your sabbaths, and your calling assemblies. Now, wait a minute. He says to worship Him. Don't neglect the Sabbath day. But you said you've turned the Sabbath day into a carnival. Isn't it interesting how that uh, that we have turned uh, so many things into nothing more than commercial excess? Christmas no longer is about the Savior being born. It's about presents and Santa Claus and all the rest. It's interesting. You can tell a lot about uh, even a church or about a country's culture. Back uh, just in my generation, there were two times that uh, people would normally go to church. One would be around Christmas. The other would be Easter. Easter used to be the second biggest sales day for especially the department stores and clothing stores. Because people would buy their clothes. And you said, well, that's just, yeah, it just reflected on what people thought of. You know what the number one, this number two day now in America is as far as money that's being spent on a holiday? or a, Because it's the day before All Saints Day. All Saints Day was that, you know, the Catholic Church had so many saints now that they couldn't, they had more than 365. So they had to have an All Saints Day for the, all the rest of them. November 1st. What comes on October 31st? Demonism. You know, the second most uh, commercialized day in America today, it honors ghosts and goblins and and demons. Isn't it interesting? Now you say, well, Pastor, when I was growing up, you, uh, you went left. Yeah, but it was all a game. Today, that's no longer a game. People are dressing up like animals and going and acting like animals. And you look at the streets of San Francisco and all the rest of those places. The cities are burning, are they not? Riots are tearing us apart. And that's just the beginning of things to come. We're being infiltrated by all of our, we're being invaded and we're letting the people in. It's just a matter of time before we have the same thing going on in our country, that just went on in Israel yesterday. And we don't even know it. And we just go on in our lives. When I say we as a country, I think us, we as Christians, we realize we're starting to see the handwriting on the wall, are we not? And so he's saying all this. He says, I cannot endure iniquity. Uh, I don't like your twisted thinking. I don't like your sacred meetings in verse 13. They're not sacred. He says, your new moons are appointed feasts. They they trouble me. Uh, I'm weary of bearing them. I mean, you know, I get tired of going to church. Well, God might get tired of you going to church. You know, it's not what you think of God. It's what he thinks of you that counts. Now, of course, we want, sometimes we do get a little, you know, in our lives, we have to make sure that we kick ourselves in the right gear and make sure we're in church for the right reasons. Oh, I'm not going to go to church today because, after all, I don't feel, no, that's not what, we, no. You make that sacrifice of praise, even when you don't feel like it, you go ahead and praise the Lord anyway. You come before his presence and singing whether you feel like it or not. And we looked at that Sunday or uh, Wednesday night, the sacrifice of praise. But uh, it's with a right heart and a pure. We seek the Lord with a pure heart. Not that our hearts are pure, but we, want, we have a pure motive in seeking the Lord. Does that make sense? In other words, oh, I want to come to church so I can be blessed. I want to come to church so I could, you know, name it and claim it. Gospel. No, I want to come to church and just love the Lord, whether He blesses you, whether, whether I get a, an immediate reward or not. I just the greatest thing is to love Him because He loved me, like a father who says, "I don't want your money. I just want your love." Like a mother. Those flowers, those dandelions, and things that you picked up and want to give to me because you're my child, well, I accept them because of the thought of your heart. Don't you do that, mothers? How many of you mothers ever got old rickety flowers out of the from your kids? You treasure them because they mean something to you. Even though, what do we have to offer to our Lord? Nothing more than dandelions. We don't have anything to offer Him other than our hearts. So he says, that's what I want. And so we see that he says, you make, you make many prayers. And of course, if I re- regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The book of the writer of Psalms tells us. And so your hands are full of blood. So you, got, you need to clean up. And then notice, though, the invitation. He says, wash yourselves... Make yourself clean. Now he gives, this is not what will bring salvation, but he says, let me just tell you just a few things. And again, he number seven, just the things that righteous people do. Not because they are righteous within themselves, but this is just fruits of righteousness. And when you get right with God, you start getting right with people. He says, put away evil Uh, of your doings before my eyes. So first of all, get right with me. Cease to do evil. So you got to stop what you're doing. This is called repentance, turning from your way to my way. Learn to do good. (laughs) Isn't it interesting? We have to teach our kids how to do good. We, We already know how to do evil. It comes naturally. But we've got to learn to do good. That's the reason we come to church, to learn how to be holy. He says, seek justice. Boy, we live in an unjust world, don't we? He says, Re- rebuke the oppressor. Don't make that person who steals, don't make that person who murders the, your hero. Don't make those television creatures who go out and, and rob from their neighbor, don't make them the heroes of your culture. He says, defend the fatherless, the unprotected. Boy, the Bible tells us that uh, he who, um, it's better for a person to have a millstone hung around his neck and cast into the uttermost parts of the sea than to harm all these little ones. And Folks, we're going to have a lot of millstones in America, especially the education system these days, of adults who are destroying children and many children today, how many of you even know who their father is? How sad. He says, plead with the widow. There again, take care of the, I mean, just take care. Don't rob from the widow, but take care of them. It's all the, the unprotected. So those are just some of the things. You know, we know that the Bible says that, uh, that, uh, True religion and undefiled before God the Father is this: to visit the father, the widow, and the fatherless in their affliction, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So, right there, it is. That's James chapter one, and here we see basically the same thing in Isaiah chapter one. But then we see that great, come, come unto me. The last uh, verse of the of the Bible says, "Come to the Lord Jesus." The Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." But come now, and let us reason together," saith the Lord. Now let's look at what that means to reason together. Now, if you very quickly, I know that we're, our time is getting away from us. But from one end of the chapter of Isaiah to the other, he preaches the same thing. Turn with me over to chapter fifty-five, a passage that many of us know, or have at least heard. In Isaiah 55, if you don't have just listened and you can look at it later, write it down on your bulletin and look at the verses later. We love verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor my ways, uh, your ways, sa- your ways, my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We love that, don't we? So we see that God has a superior thought structure than we do. But notice the invitation that he gives as you go back to verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. So come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, you're going to conform your thoughts to my thoughts. There's no bargaining because back in verse 1, or chapter 1, though your sins be a scarlet, though your sins be red like crimson. And from what the dyes of the world, one of the hardest dyes, especially that Middle Eastern dye back in this time, to get out once it's into a fabric was, Crimson and scarlet dyes. many of you ladies who've ever or anybody who's ever been a fuller, which was a wash push or a person who dealt with dyes, uh, once you get that dye in, especially red dye, it's almost impossible to get out, even blood you know And so we see that it's uh, it permeates, it is so deep that humanly. By the time you get it out, if you get it out, you've already destroyed the fabric. But there's only one way. And by the way, he says, though your sins be as scarlet. In the Bible, sin is not black. Sin is red. Notice, it's red like scarlet. It's red like crimson. He says, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as white as snow. Now, how does that happen? Because the Bible tells us that uh, God declares us righteous. What does he do in Romans chapter 1 through 3? As the Lord looks at that sinner, red like scarlet, he looks through the red blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as, if you remember, when I was a kid, that we used to have those three, those glasses where you'd have blue glasses, blue lenses, and you look at everything that was blue, and it was white. If you put on red glasses, everything that was red was white. Well, as God the Father looks through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, your sins, though they are red like crimson, become white as snow through the blood of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? What can heal my body? What can take care of this putrefying sores? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Oh, precious is the flow that washes whiter whiter than snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. And so we see that this is what Isaiah is preaching. Now, and here's the warning, or here's the invitation. If you repent, if you turn to me, If you are willing, folks, God is not going to drag you into heaven. God's not going to drag you into righteousness. He's not going to force you. He's not going to twist your arm and say, you know, know, you've got to follow me. If you're going to follow the Lord, you're going to take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow him. It's a voluntary act. Whosoever will may come but it is up to you and I'm not going to drag you. He says, but he says, if you're willing, then he says, it will be good. Uh, you will see the good of the land. But if you refuse, and folks, that's the other end of the gospel. Oh, Jesus loves us and we want to preach that. And I want people to know and I want, to know, I want people to know the love of Christ from this church. But they also need to know that the denial of Jesus Christ will send them to hell. And there is a place called hell for those who reject him. He says, but if you rebel, then you shall be devoured by the sword. And so you're going to, you're going to the path of destruction. All those who reject me as their savior. It's a gospel in a nutshell, isn't it? We're all a bunch of sinners, totally incapable. From head to the foot, we are sinners. Nobody taught us to sin. We had learned it on our own. We have to learn to do right. But the only way we can learn to do right is have a standard of righteousness, and that's him, God himself. When we walk with the Lord in the light of his word, what a glory he sheds on our way. When we do his good will, he abides with us still and with all those who will trust him and obey. That's the gospel invitation to all who will come to him. But if you don't, there are penalties. For one thing, you will go ahead and wallow around in the cesspool of your sins and go ahead and enjoy life because that's the only heaven you'll ever know with all of its misery, all of its uncertainty, all of its stresses. But you will spend an eternity in a godless hell for those who reject him. Oh, let's make sure that we keep the, the message clear and plain that people know the great blessings of salvation and the great curse of sin and that whosoever will may come. The Spirit and the Bride, that's us, the Holy Spirit and the, and the Bride, which is the church, tells the word, word, Lord the world to come now. Let us reason together. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about his perfection. Let's talk about his grace. And let's talk about turning from our ways to his ways, from our thoughts to his thoughts, because he's the God of heaven who created us and gave himself for us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you this morning. As sinners, sinners saved by your wonderful, matchless, powerful grace, that you've shed your blood on the cross to make us appear before the Father whiter than snow. We thank you, Lord, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to your mercies. You've saved us. And Lord, we pray now that as we are the light and we are part of that remnant, that possibly you are sparing us as a people. Oh, well, we're not the Jew, we realize that, but the pattern is there. So Lord, we realize that as a nation at one time being that you salted this nation with your preserving power and your grace. And people saying about your grace shed upon us. And today we're denying you in the marketplace, in the halls of government, in our court system, in our school system, and in our neighborhood. We're turning away from you. Oh, Lord Jesus, call your people to repentance. Increase that remnant. And in your people who are Christians, who are called by your name, may we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face and turn from our wicked ways that you could heal our land. Bless your people, Lord. Save souls around us, we pray, through the message we preach. In Jesus' name, amen.